You unlock this door with the key of the First Amendment. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of entertainment. A dimension of adults. A dimension that does not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. You're moving into a land of both offense and warning. Of opinions and ideas. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Shock Monkey Radio. What? Stop, stop. That's Golden Earring, man. That's Golden Earring. That's the wrong song, dude. I was going to do this whole Rod Serling thing, and you screwed it up. Did you even read the notes? Twilight Zone. <sighs> About that, I was going to do this whole thing. I was going to do this whole show, straight like Rod Serling style, and all mysterious and scary and smoking a cigarette. <sighs> and he screwed it up. He didn't read the notes. I don't think you understood what was going on today, buddy. Thanks for trying. So, um... He screwed it up. Sorry about this show being so horrible at, right at the beginning. Sorry, folks. So I'm just going to get right into it today. Welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, the Madman. On the boards, we have EK, such as it is. Okay, so I just want to uh, let you know right off the bat that I want you to go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio, become a patron. I would really appreciate it. Uh, help us grow. And if you, if you don't, do, don't want to do that, you can just send me cash through Cash App. Use cash tag. Shock Monkey, dollar sign, Shock Monkey Radio. You could use that, uh, send me money that way. Um, you also buy my books, look on Amazon for digital download. Look for the author Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. You'll find them, you'll find them. Um, yeah, so I would appreciate if you did any or all of that. And if you can't do any of it, just like, share, and subscribe. Those of you live right now, wink, wink, wink. You can go ahead and share it for me. I'm not going to do it. I was taking up too much time in the last couple shows uh, trying to do that while doing the show. So not a good idea. So um, <clears throat> I just want to remind you also that uh, Scott Wharton and I, comedian Scott Wharton and I, have been doing the Scott versus Scott uh, show podcast, and they're available on both my YouTube channel and uh, Scott Wharton's YouTube channel. And tomorrow morning, 6, 6 a.m., is uh, when we're going to release our volume two of Scott versus Scott, where we're talking about... Uh, kneeling for the national anthem and we're talking about music and uh <laughs> so go check that out that's for tomorrow but uh you can check out our first show last week uh from last week and uh yeah check it out um i had to shave my beard if you watch uh that show uh tomorrow if i have a different beard it's just remember it was recorded yesterday i shake because uh comedian scott warren said i look like ambrose burnside so i had to do something about the beard so just to let you know, Scott versus Scott coming soon tomorrow morning. So check that out on the YouTube channel. Search for Shock Monkey Radio on YouTube. So I had a dream about Point Break. You know, as you do, you know, everyone's about about Point Break, and it was about that scene where Keanu Reeves was just about to shoot. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, guy from Roadhouse. About to shoot uh, the guy from Roadhouse in a Reagan mask. And then uh, he didn't. He didn't shoot him. In turns, he just turned straight up in the air. Now you're an FBI agent, Johnny Utah. You're an FBI agent, and I've done a video way back in the day uh, talking about how, why Johnny Utah is just the worst FBI agent ever. Uh, but first of all, he's discharging a gun in a residential residential area. All right, and you should never ever do that. Second, he's firing them straight up in the air. All right, and so who knows when these bullets are going to come down. So if you're laying on your back on the ground shooting those bullets up there, you better be getting up pretty quick right after that. 
Okay. <laughs> Depending on how many rounds you're firing off. I don't even, I don't remember the gun in the green, in the, I don't remember the type of gun. I didn't even look it up or anything or what kind of a uh, pistol he's having. But if you had like a, you know, 15 round mag, <laughs> you'd be start getting, you might start getting hit by your own bullets before you're finished shooting. So, uh, never, never do that. Never shoot a pistol straight up in the air. I don't care how cool it looks on film. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Johnny Utah. Uh, another thing that, um, came up over this past weekend is uh, my mom ate a chocolate orange. Ugh. You like them? You like chocolate oranges? That is so disgusting. Who eats those? Seriously. Why ruin both chocolate and orange? Why? That's insane to me. Obviously, those flavors don't belong together. Who invented this thing? A Frenchman? <clears throat> Anyway, I just had that stuff sitting on, you know, simmering on my, uh, on, the, on my mind for the last couple of days. And so I felt, felt like I had to get that off my chest. But I need you that yeah, December is usually Twilight Zone month for me. And uh, I don't know what it is. I think it's just uh, that I've had uh, a collection of DVDs. Every time I get a hold of some DVDs of Twilight Zone, you know I'm picking them up. It's had a large collection of DVDs. And not a complete set of all the Twilight Zone episodes, but a bunch of them. And so uh, pretty much every December is, is when I start watching a bunch of Twilight Zone. Uh, books. I was just talking to Scott Wharton uh, a few minutes ago uh, about uh, how um, after binging my, my, first, uh, my first binge of the Twilight Zone series uh, is when I started writing my Exit 13 books that you can get on, on Amazon, like I told you. It's for Scott L. Robbins, two T's and two B's. Yeah, and so um, pretty much every December now, I, in order to fight off those season, that seasonal affective disorder, the Christmas blues, as I, I like to call it, I'll, I'll sit and I'll try to binge the Twilight Zone. I did it in one week <laughs> this past week um, uh, because I was doing a lot of writing. I combined work and pleasure. <laughs> I did a lot of writing about Twilight Zone today. And so um, uh, I did a lot of writing so I could talk to you about these Twilight Zone episodes because I love, I love the Twilight Zone. I think they're... It, uh, revolutionary, it's re revolutionary television, especially considering its time. Uh, in, in many ways, similar to um, Star Trek was revolutionary uh, in, in different ways, in, in some similar ways, too. <laughs> we'll get into all of it, all of this. But, you know, I sat there and I watched all these Twilight Zone episodes, and there is an alarming amount of stories about robots who humans about love and emotion and with a smug superiority that I find appalling. I am the human in those episodes screaming at the robots, as Rod, Rod calls them. Um, I would be screaming, don't talk to me about love, you soulless abomination. And then I'll be smashed the robot to bits, which happens a lot in the show. Okay? And there's always some moral lesson, of course, in a Twilight Zone episode for the humans to learn in, in the episode. But it is never this. Never mention robots, never program robots with like, love or emotion. I know Twilight Zone is way before Star Wars, but I think C-3PO really put that concept to bed. But even in more modern films like Will Smith's I, Robot, which is based upon uh, Asimov's writings, writings, there's always some wild-eyed scientist who wants to put an emotion chip in data, which is always a bad idea. Why install our flaws into robots? And who would be arrogant enough to try to program concepts like love and other complex emotions that we have? Anyone who wants to put emotion in robots is a fucking supervillain. Speaking of fucking, there's an episode called The Lonely where some dude got a fuck robot and fell in love with him. And you're supposed to, and you're supposed to feel bad for the guy because, they, because he couldn't take his real doll back home with him. You're literally one rocket ship away from a real woman, dude. I don't get it. 
Maybe I'm just a cranky old man, but I would, I would hate these mechanical monsters and would probably actively destroy them. Don't do it, scientists. Don't do it. <clears throat> that was a long pause, pause right? Ooh, dripping. Got a drinking problem. Anyway, so when I watch these episodes, there's a few, there's a few things that strike me as interesting. First of all, <clears throat> everyone smokes. Everyone smokes. <laughs> I was going to pull out a cigarette. No, I won't. I was going to pull out a cigarette. Everyone smokes. Smoking on planes, you know, they're smoking in offices, smoking everywhere. Everyone, uh, offering someone a cigarette is, a is as common as offering someone a cup of coffee. The difference is that somehow coffee is okay in our day and age and still offered to guests, but they're not. Despite the fact that nicotine and caffeine are poisons produced by plants to deter predators. Somehow coffee was allowed to continue to exist in our culture, but smoking has not. Even the Twilight Zone episodes uh, on Netflix warn you at the beginning of every episode that there are people smoking in the show, yet no mention of them drinking coffee, as if they are both not equally dangerous. You know, they're also really certain that, there were, uh, that we would destroy ourselves in some sort of nuclear uh, war at some point during the 1970s. <laughs> if you watch those Twilight Zone episodes, it's like there's a definite theme and fear in, in, in those episodes. And I mean, it's very common of the, the Cold War era, especially towards the beginning. It's like when we started thinking, it's like, holy cow, we can really wipe each other off the face of the earth. You know, so, uh, but they were, they're really certain in it in a lot of episodes, even if the episode had nothing to do with some sort of nuclear catastrophe, they could be referring to it in the past. It's like, oh, there's a one, I think it's called Elegy, uh, called Elegy, where it just is a part of the like filler, I guess, for the shows. You know, they, uh, they had this short conversation. It's like, oh, you're from Earth? And it's like, did they ever have that nuclear war? Like, yep, we sure did. You know, it's just, it was very casually mentioned and it had no bearing on the episode whatsoever, you know? Elegy, that's a pretty that's a pretty good episode. It's not one of the best. I'll get I'll get to my uh top picks here in a minute. All right, so um yeah, so they're really certain that it was some point in the 70s is when uh that's when we'd all destroy each other, you know. It and all things considered, I think it's better to have disco than a nuclear war. You know? So let's all take a second, a moment of silence, and understand that, you know, we are blessed to have disco instead of nuclear war. And a fallout-like lifestyle. <laughs> All right, that's enough silence. So another thing I noticed in the show is how they portrayed women and how they are treated in uh, the Twilight Zone. Half of them, half of the female characters, the nice ones, are treated poorly by men in society. They're slapping them. They're grabbing them. <laughs> like, like grabbing them. It's like, it's just something you don't see today where some dude just grabs his wife and shakes her like they do in Twilight Zone episodes. You know, and it's, it's, it's always you know, the slapping, grabbing, you know, sometimes killing them, you know, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's always like, ah, you crazy dame, I never should have let you drive. I should have known I would have ended up here in the Twilight Zone, or worse, see? The other half of the women are portrayed as hopeless shrews, or unfettered bitches to the max, henpecking their husbands and or knacking everyone around them. There seems to be no middle ground for women in the world of the Twilight Zone. Certainly, I understand that this show was before the women's liberation movement of the 70s. And watching these, um, uh, watching these episodes, you can understand why it happened. Additionally, these, uh, there are plenty of stories involving minorities. And, as a moral of the and the moral of the story tends towards treating minorities as equals in our American society, which is a good thing. 
After all, The Twilight Zone aired in the early 60s, and I think that this had a direct impact on our society. What else happened in the early 60s? Well, the comic book industry was revitalized in the Silver Age of comic books, which also contained fantastic sci-fi tales and morality plays, which also led America into the civil rights and women's liberation movement after that. The Twilight Zone was able to conceal a woke message, quote-unquote, within a spooky or mysterious story. And Rod Serling challenged us to think twice about how we treat our fellow humans despite their race or the fair respect or the fairest sex, despite the fact that at least half of them remain hopeless shrews and unfettered bitches. Mm. So we're cruising right through the show today. If it's short, it's short. It's my show. I do it my way. Okay. So let's get into my favorite Twilight Zone episode, Twilight Zone episodes, because I didn't even bother trying to number these because I knew there was, it was, I didn't, it wasn't going to end up with a pretty number like I like, like 13. So these are my like uh, favorite Twilight Zone episodes. And so if you can't watch them all, I would suggest you at least watch these episodes of the Twilight Zone because I think they are the 100% the best. Uh, there's Mr. Denton on Doomsday, which is a, a town drunk who's getting uh, bullied by Martin Landau and uh, finds a gun. And how his life changes after that. It's a uh, it's, it's pretty good episode. Pretty good episode. Um uh, there's Time Enough at Last. I'm sure it's probably the most famous Twilight Zone episode, Twi- Time Enough at Last. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Time Enough at Last was uh, Burgess Meredith, where he's a reader. He likes reading, and he gets caught in a vault um, during an explosion, a nuclear war, and he's left alone, last man on Earth, but he's got you know, he's he got a henpecking wife at home, won't let him read, and so now he's got all the time in the world to to read, and that's, that's probably the most famous Twilight Zone episode. Um... And when, and when the sky was opened was a really good one. I believe, let me double check. When the sky was opened, season one, episode 11. I just want to double check. Yeah, this is a story about these three astronauts who go into space and uh, they cra- they, something happened to them out in space and they ended up crash landing and then they start disappearing one by one. It's creepy. It's really creepy. It's a good one. Um, there's... Uh, the Four of Us Are Dying, which is an excellent um, uh, screenplay in terms of like uh, production. It must have been super cheap to film that episode, The Four of Us Are Dying. Um, but it's about this guy who has this superpower, right? And the superpower is he can change his face. You know, he can change his face to look like pretty much anybody. And he has this scheme. You know, I guess he's not like a superhero. He's more like a supervillain using his power to like uh, get money, get a girl, a hot girl he likes and stuff like that. And uh you know, uh, it's a pretty good story. I don't want to spoil too much of this for you if you're going to watch it. But I mean, it's, I, th- I think the four of us are dying is really, really well done. Another great episode is Execution, which is uh, guys it starts out with a guy being hanged for murder and a time traveler from the future <clears throat> plucks him out of the noose as he's being hung. And uh, like I said, I don't want to spoil it for you. So definitely, that's a really good story. That's a re- that's like. If it was in like my top five, that's the top five story execution. That's a really good story. Uh, the Big Tall Wish is a really excellent uh, story about a boxer named Bully Jackson. And Bully Jackson uh, is a fighter. It, uh, incidentally, it's an all-African-American uh, cast, which was revolutionary for the era. You know, I think the season one, you know, it's like 59. They had uh, an all-black cast in a Twilight Zone episode. And it's a really good episode about the Bully Jackson, this boxer who has this... This little kid, a friend of his, of a neighbor, and uh, he's a boxer, and he's going to this fight 
And so the kid says, I'm going to make the big tall wish that you win this. And it's a, uh, it's really good story. I mean, it's a really strong script. I mean, and, and they gave it to, I hadn't, you know, really done a whole lot of work in television before. And it's like, that's good. Progressive. Um, uh, dust. The episode dust is a pretty good one. It's a, you'll there's a lot of Western themed, uh, uh, shows, uh, Twilight Zone episodes. And that's because it's, uh, back in the like late fifties, early sixties, like Westerns were selling. Everyone's pushing Westerns, even at the studios where it's like Rod Serling's going to p- pitching these people. Uh, what was it a- CBS? <laughs> I forget. And so, uh, he's pitching these people and they're like, yeah, but we need more Westerns because Westerns is what sells what, you know? And so, uh, there's a lot of uh, Western themes one, but the episode Dust is really good. It's about it's kind of f- focused on this uh, wandering merchant. I forget his name, but um, he sells the rope for the hanging, and uh, he sells because uh, 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 that's what's going on in town. Is a, uh, a guy is going to be hanged because he ran over a girl in the street with when he was drunk on his cart, ran over a girl in the street, so he's going to be hung for it. Hanged, hung for it, hanged. Let's go with hanged for it. And, uh, uh, yeah, and then this uh, peddler's going to sell this dust. He wants to sell this magic dust to this guy to help them free his uh, son, help him let it go. This magic dust that turns uh, hate into love. It's a really interesting story. Uh, the Invaders, it's, uh, I think that's an award-winning episode of Twilight Zone because it's a uh, <laughs> one, one woman show. It's a one, one person in the cast and just nothing but set and props where uh this lady in a farmhouse fights off these um alien invaders <laughs> it's it's pretty good it's like a really good story and like there's no like no script it's just all action you know they showed and they didn't tell until the very end anyway and so it's a twilight zone episode of course right until the end so uh an- another great episode is mr dingle the strong which is another one starring burgess meredith and uh i i, I think it's there's a lot of fun moments and uh, funny moments in Twilight Zone episodes, and I like that they it, they included it in there. And so they had these aliens. They come down. They're trying to find um, and they they're they can they're aliens that are invisible around all of us, and they're, they're just moving around and stuff like that. And they're just uh, these two aliens show up, and they're they're they want to find a substandard human specimen to run an experiment on, and they find this guy, Mister Dingle, who's a vacuum cleaner salesman, and so they zapped him with the strength of like 50 men like that and so he goes around like lifting cars and like <laughs> lifted stuff and breaking stuff you know and uh the aliens like take it away from him it's it, it's really <laughs> it's a really good story i don't want to spoil like the the turn at the end but it's <laughs> it's 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 a great it's a fun episode and you can kind of see like when when episodes like this started showing up on television where it's just a fantastical like aliens walking around, you can you can see how the Silver Age comic books came to be because I'm certain like all those people who were writing comic books were watching TV at night and it's like any the Twilight Zone sure, certainly piqued their interest. Uh, another excellent, excellent episode is called Shadow Play with this guy who's uh, about to be executed for a crime. Yeah, I have all of these in my head. <laughs> about to be executed. Um, and... Um, He's, he starts telling people, he's like, this, this, is, this is a dream. This happens every night to me. It's like, it's, I, the dream is me in the courtroom. I get sentenced. I go to the prison. You know, I talk to the lawyer, talk to the district attorney, blah, 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 blah. And then it's the same dream, and it, uh, it ends when I'm executed. And it happens every night. And so, I mean, it's a really, really good episode. It's a, it's, <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of these episodes were like more like uh, stage plays. I forget that. I think that's what they're called, like stage plays. And uh, 
it sometimes the stage play doesn't uh, uh, translate well when it comes to like television, but a lot of them translated real well because I think of the nature of it, uh, the nature of the content. Um, there's another episode I love called Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? <laughs> Somebody cites a UFO. Um, uh, a bus stops, and apparently an extra person gets on a bus. Uh, cops are trying to figure out there's like there's must there's somebody somebody in this room must be an alien. It's, a, it's kind of a, a a silly, interesting story. Um, uh, a really good good one, good episode. It's called Two. Has uh, Charles Bronson in it, I believe, and um, uh, it, it's a, it's the aftermath of a war. You know, a, a big war, and it's like it's probably nuclear. <laughs> you know, and so like it's just two these two people who are left alive, and two combatants from the enemy side. There's Charles Bronson on one side, and this female from another. And you know, as soon as they start seeing each, uh, run into each other, they're like fighting and stuff like that. And then they realize, you know, they're all alone and stuff like that. And it's about it's really kind of a really heartwarming story. Uh, a terrifying story is one called The Good Life, and uh, this is, a, I think, a, a very common one. It's uh, about the boy who has like who has godlike powers, and he's a mean. Uh, <laughs> he just people into monsters, and they you know, wish him into the cornfield. I think they did it for the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, they remade that, and the Kick and Kick the Can one. I think were remakes in the Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. Of course, see, this is all in my head. That was all uh, redone for the Twilight Zone movie. Uh, but the good life—that's a—that's terrifying one. Where the the father from the next door neighbor, he's sitting there shouting. It's like somebody grab a lamp, knock him out while he's focused on me. Oh man, it's so <laughs> it's so good. I'm sorry, I may have spoiled that one a little bit, but <laughs> it's great. It's great. I love that. Another one is a quality of mercy. Um, I believe that one stars Dean Stockwell of <laughs> Quantum Leap fame, and he um, he's a new officer coming in like right at the tail end of the war in, in the Pacific. And uh, he wants to go and uh, wipe out these wounded uh, Japanese soldiers that are holed up in a cave. And uh, he, he drops his binoculars. And then when he picks them back up, he's all of a sudden in a Japanese uniform. This happens in the Philippines. So it's like, uh, like three years prior. When he, and then he's part of a Japanese unit that's trying to wipe out a bunch of American troops that are holed up in the same cave. It's pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good episode. I'm trying to get through these because I got more. And so uh, another good one is The Last Rites of Jeff Myrtlebank. The Last Rites of Jeff Myrtlebank, where he is, uh, <laughs> this kid got sick. They thought he, the doctor thought he was dead. And so they're in the middle of burying him. And in the, at the, middle, in the middle of his funeral, he sits up out of his coffin going, hey, I'm hungry. <laughs> and everyone starts to think that he is like a zombie or something like that. That's a good one. Uh, the 30 Fathom Grave is excellent. I'm, I guess I'm partial to it because I'm, I was in the Navy. And it's about this story about uh, this, uh, like, I think it was a destroyer in, in the Guadalcanal region. And a sailor, a chief who, uh, you know, 20 years in the Navy kind of guy, lifer, uh, he's, he's, they start hearing this banging coming down. Sonar's picking up this banging coming from underneath the ocean. And uh, this chief is just like, freaking out <laughs> just starts freaking out and you find out that he was he had been there before at the battle of guadalcanal and um and uh yeah it's it's a 30 fathom grave i don't want to spoil it for you anyway a couple more i want to talk about is steel um steel takes place in this alternate future of the 70s <laughs> where uh boxing has been outlawed and so in order to fill the need they use robots robots to uh fight and it's about this uh, this guy, uh, a handler and a trainer, 
manager man, manager and handler and they manage the robot right but the robot's like falling apart it's an old model you know stuff like that and the robot they've got this contract for a fight for 500 bucks and um they uh the robot breaks right before the fight and so the manager gets the idea it's like we'll dress myself up like the robot and i'll go in there and fight the robot it's that's <laughs> a good uh it's a good episode um, if you're a madman like me, if you're like a, you have, you have, if you have a super villain uh, streak in you, I highly suggest the episode Uncle Simon. If you're, if you have a little streak of cruelty in you and you like hurling insults, Uncle Simon is an excellent episode for somebody for uh, like people who are mean to each other. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know how, how else to say it. Is like if there's somebody you really hate, I mean, it's like Uncle Simon's the episode for you. It's basically about this old guy who's a rich old guy and he's always doing uh, experiments down in the uh, in the basement. But he's got this caretaker because he's uh, you know got a bad hip or something like that, and he walks with a cane. And uh, this caretaker is only taking care of him because she knows she's going to inherit the money and so forth. And, and so he invents something to give her a hell of a time afterwards. And the last one after uh, the last one I, I want to mention is uh, the Ringading Girl or Ringading Girl, I think is the name of it. It's about this actress who. Uh, 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 wow, I don't know, even know how I could tell the story without spoiling it. The uh, it's an, about an actress who uh, who comes from the small town, and she's uh she shows up in a small town today one day to visit them, and she's like, oh, I'm you know I'm all famous and everything. You guys should love me. And so they're having like a Founders Day picnic or something like that, and they're they're going to be at the park, and and she's like, no, I want. <clears throat> she goes down to the TV station. It's like, no, I want everyone to come uh, down to the the high school. Come down to the high school auditorium. I'm doing my one girl play, so you can go to you can go to the picnic if you want. Come see me, and everyone's thinking it's like, why are you acting so uppity? Why are you acting like such a so Hollywood on us and so forth? That's a and it's a really heartwarming story. It's really good. Like I said, I don't want to spoil it. Now, real quickly, I'm going to go over like the worst Twilight Zone episode. So, if you want to know ones, which ones to admit, omit, excuse me, I would recommend not watching these Twilight Zone episodes. The 16 millimeter shrine. Oh, oh, I'm I'm old. <laughs> How am I going to deal with being old? Uh, there's another. People are like all over. Yeah, we like zoos. People like zoos. Um, there's one called a passage for trumpet. Dude, quit making out with the trumpet. There's uh, the trouble with Templeton. It's like, oh, I'm growing old. I don't. I can't deal with growing old. There's uh, the mind and the matter, which is like, I hate people. Oh wait, I'm bored. <laughs> when they're all gone. <laughs> there's a game of pool. It's like you know. Pool isn't that great. All right, Joe Rogan. All right, uh, Death's Head Revisited is like, who wants to relive all that, all that Holocaust stuff? That's not entertainment. That's a, that's a bucket of tears. Uh, the Jungle, really? Really? It was like, that was just, uh, they l laid the burden of the episode on uh, uh, the sound designers. <laughs> The whole plot is bet is based upon the sound designers in that episode. There's a showdown of the Rance McGrew, and it's like, oh, these re these cowboy actors aren't real cowboys. Give me a break. It's all the pushing westerns again. There's the fugitive, which is like, dude, that's an old dude hanging around with a little girl. And there's a lot of that in those uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Some old dude hanging around little girls. <laughs> See that quite a bit, and it's uh, nobody says says boo to them. You know what the hell? And um, there's um. The Dummy, and it's like any episode that involves ventriloquism is just awful. Uh, there's The Last Night of a Jockey. It's like, I'm sorry, Mickey Rooney. No, I, don't, I don't get why he's ever famous. There's a short drink from a certain fountain, which, uh, again, oh, I'm old. I don't know how, I'm going old. What do I do about it? And so um, 
There's the long morrow. <laughs> this guy owned himself. That's uh, if, the turn is just like, oh, cell phone. <laughs> you screwed it up, bro. <laughs> that's that's the only good of that episode is that you get to laugh at laugh at the end. It's like, dude, what an idiot. Get <laughs> an officer in the military. <laughs> and Caesar and me is an episode where uh, involving ventriloquists and schizophrenia. <laughs> Jeff Dunham. Do you think he's schizophrenic? Do you think that's helpful in that kind of career? Anyway, before we get into the news worth knowing, I just want to go over a couple of things because I just sat down for a sec. I was thinking uh, when I was writing all about this is like there are a ton of movies that are basically just long Twilight Zone episodes. Now, I didn't do any research. I just sat down and started thinking about movies and saying that that's basically a long Twilight Zone episode. All right, so here's the list I came up with on the spot like two days ago. Donnie Darko, Liar Liar, Bedazzled, Bruce Almighty, E.T., Inception, Back to the Future 1 through 3, Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, Devil's Advocate, Memento, Groundhog Day, Jurassic Park, The Matrix, Fight Club, Blade Runner, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Truman Show, Mad Max et al., Planet of the Apes et al., The Thing, Big, etc. And so my point is, is that The Twilight Zone really changed the nature of entertainment, the way you script for television. I think they perfected the idea of the, what's that, uh, the reveal, the, I don't know the industry jargon, MPYP, I don't know, I don't know any of that. You give us the tapes, you give us the tapes, we'll go get the contract. We get the contract, we come and bring you fucking money, it's that fucking simple. Boogie Nights, great movie, but not, not a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> But I think that, you know, the way they, the way they change story, uh, it, the Twilight Zone changed the way stories are told, especially in a visual medium like television. And I think that a ton of movies have uh, emulated that kind of uh, formula and pattern for a big reveal, a big, <gasps> or even the sci-fi angle, just a touch of sci-fi can change the entire world in, in terms of, um, in, ter in terms of uh, entertainment. Like, for example, the, the four of us are dying. The guy who had one little, one little tiny superpower. It's not like he was able to lift trucks. It wasn't even like he was invulnerable, because there is one where a guy makes a deal with the devil and makes himself immor <laughs> immortal. And then, like, after a week, <laughs> ends up using an escape clause to get out of it. It's like, you an idiot? Just prison until the prison collapses around you. <laughs> Free food. All you got to do is sit there, eat, and read. <laughs> Fill your mind for a thousand years before you just like eh, just give me a heart attack, devil. Sorry, I spoiled that one. Let's see if I can remember the name of that episode. No, I don't. I don't remember. It's it's not great. <laughs> it's uh, it's not what I would do with that immortality after giving your soul to the devil, for God's sakes. Anyway, so it's about that time to get into the news worth knowing. Excuse me. All right, let's get into this first story. You notice I haven't been talking about politics or news a lot lately because, frankly, it's been boring me lately. It's been pissing me off. It makes me mad to no end. But let's talk about this. Top Senate Democrat takes aim at Pelosi over delays on coronavirus relief deal. A top Senate Democrat joined a growing number of rank-and-file lawmakers in backing scaled-back coronavirus relief deal that excludes fiscal relief for states and local governments, a top priority for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The uh, Senate Minority Whip Dick Durbin, the number two Senate uh, Democrat, called on Pelosi to set aside her demands for a massive multi-trillion dollar aid package and back the $748 billion bipartisan measure. So best of all possible worlds, that's almost a trillion dollars of our money, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, quote, there's no excuse for the speaker or the leader. You've got to give us a vote, Durbin said Monday during a press conference announcing the legislation. The $748 billion proposal released a, a dozen centrist senators released by a dozen centrist senators on Monday, includes funding for education, vaccine distribution, transportation, small business relief, and federal unemployment aid. A more controversial $160 billion add-on would include aid for state and local governments and a liability shield for businesses against COVID-related lawsuits. The, the, the two thorniest issues that have plagued the negotiations for months. Two thorniest issues. That's, that's fairly, I, fairly, uh, what's it? unbiased. The bipartisan group said they they all backed a narrower measure and urged leaders to bring it to the floor for a week. Quote, this is our consensus bill, Durbin said. We all agree on it. It's ready to go. Pelosi and set, uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have not weighed in publicly on the proposal yet, uh, but had indicated last week that they will be willing to support a deal worth less than uh, $2.2 trillion they maintained for months was needed. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is not uh, who has also not commented on the bipartisan offer, said on the Senate floor that, quote, Republican side, Republican side wants to make a law and urged his Democratic colleagues to join those efforts. Separately, Pelosi has continued to hold discussions with Treasury, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin about coronavirus relief efforts after trying, without success for months, to reach a deal on their own. McConnell and Pelosi have both said that they want to attach a relief deal uh, to the government spending measure that Congress needs to pass by Friday in order to avert a government shutdown. After months of deadlock, lawmakers are rushing to try and strike a deal before the end of the year. When social safety nets put in, uh, put in place earlier with the passage of the CARES Act set to expire, at least 12 million Americans are set, loose, uh, are set to lose their unemployment benefits the day after Christmas, while uh, eviction moratoriums for uh, re-enters and protections for student borrowers are set to lapse. Uh, quote, weeks have passed, hours and hours of Zoom calls, and we've reached this point, Durbin said. Feels good. It feels like legislating. It feels like why we were elected. Senator Chris, Caroon, uh, Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware, echoed the sentiment, saying lawmakers cannot afford to wait or uh, any longer to act. Quote, this should not be Congress's last COVID relief bill, but a strong compromise that deserves support from both Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. Coons, a close ally of the, pre ally of the president-elect Joe Biden, said, we cannot leave for the holidays without getting relief to those Americans who need it. You know, and, you know, God, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, uh, centrist Democrats are standing up to Pelosi and, and her ilk. Uh, I'm, I'm glad for that. I'm glad that, you know, our, our process is working. You know, the process is working. Now, you can dislike what happened with the Electoral College, you know, just like me. You can, you can dislike that all you want, but the process is playing out, and I accept, I accept the terms of our government working as it should. All right? You have to have faith in the government, and you have to have some faith that these people will pass something for all of our sakes. For, I mean, or, or we have to vote them out. You have to vote them out. If they're not, you know, helping you out, if they're killing your business, you know, vote them out. That's how the process works. If you dislike what's going on, vote out the person who's in and vote somebody in who you want. That's how it's supposed to work. And I think that, you know, it is working. Anyway, let's go on to this next topic, which I find interesting because uh, serial killers in this day and age are, uh, that's bold. <laughs> See, because I was, you know, when I was younger, like in the 90s, I was like, maybe I can grow up to be a serial killer. But, you know, it seems real messy and you got to be like real good at cleaning and stuff like that. And I was never really good at cleaning. And so, um, so I said, no, nah, I'm not going to be a serial killer. 
But I mean, in this day and age, with all the video wins, <laughs> the way there are to track people, it seems like real, it's like far more risky than, say, the 70s was for it to be a serial killer. But anyway, uh, Japan serial, tw uh, serial Twitter killer sentenced to death. The 30-year-old said he would not appeal his sentence. A Japanese court on Tuesday sentenced a man to death for killing and dismembering nine people, most of whom had posted suicidal, suicidal thoughts on social media in a case that shocked the country. The, the, Takacha, the Takakawa branch of the Tokyo District Court found Takahiro Shirayashi, known, known as a Twitter killer, that's way easier to say for me. Guilty of killing, dismembering, and storing the bodies of his victims in his apartment near Zama, in Zama near Tokyo. Uh, he is 30 years old and he pleaded guilty and he said he would not appeal his death sentence. So I guess he was suicidal. Uh, police arrested him in 2017 after finding the bodies of eight females and one male in his cold storage aces in his apartment. Jeez Louise. So I guess he was mostly straight. Uh, the investigator said he approached the victims via Twitter, offering to assist them with their suicidal wishes. He killed the women, including teenagers, after raping them, and also killed the boyfriend of one of the women to silence them. Oh, so that was like, ooh. Mm. Had nothing to do with sex, I guess. <laughs> On Twitter, he used the name Hangman, promising to help his victims die and inviting them to his apartment. Although his defense lawyers argued that he assisted in victims' suicidal wishes, he later uh, killed them without their consent. In the ruling, uh, presiding judge Naokuni Yano said none of the victims agreed to be killed and that he should be fully responsible for the deaths, according to media reports. Holy cow. So if he had gotten them to sign something, that would have been okay? I don't, I don't know what it's like in Japan. Uh, he said that's where the hanging forest is, the forest where people hang themselves. Isn't that in Japan? Yeah, I think that is in Japan. Yeah, uh, suicide's like a big thing in a lot of Asian cultures. A lot of them. Anyway, so although the defense lawyer, uh, yeah, killed him without consent. All right, in the ruling, uh, blah, blah, blah. He said the crime was extremely heinous and caused fear and concern in society where, where social media would have become, uh, where social media have become an indispensable part of everyday life. NHK Public Television reported. Japan's suicide rate is among the world's highest. Following a recent decline, the number has climbed back up this year as people were hit by the uh, pandemic. Uh, Japan's crime rate is l relatively low, but has experienced some uh, recent uh, high-profile killings. In 2016, July, a former employee of a home uh, for the disabled allegedly killed 19 residents and injured more than 20 others. <sighs> See, uh, that's why I couldn't be a serial killer. It seems real messy. The... um. Here, here's the thing, you know, I understand what it's like to be young and suicidal. I've been there. And it's just that, you know, I wouldn't trust anybody else to do it for me. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm not saying you should, you know, even consider suicide at all. It's like, certainly don't put that, you know, put something like that in the hands of a stranger. You know, just somebody you met on Twitter, you know. And, you know, when it comes to serial killing, you know, it's, I think it's cheap to kill people who don't want to live. I think that's cheating, you know. You're padding your numbers at that point, you know. <laughs> this is old and heartless of me, but let's let's be honest. Let's look at it objectively. Anyway, let's talk about Matthew McConaughey. He speaks out on illiberals in extreme right and cancer culture causing divides in the U.S. 
Matthew McConaughey spoke out uh, once again in the, on the political divide in America as well as cancel, cancel culture and the coronavirus pandemic. The da- Dallas Buyers Club actor uh, made waves last week when he appeared on Russell Brand's podcast to discuss sees as uh, the hypocrisy of asking conservatives uh, to rally behind President-elect Joe Biden after four years of animosity towards President Donald Trump and his supporters. Appearing virtually on t- uh, Tuesday's episode of Good Morning Britain, the star elaborated on his comments, noting that neither liberals nor conservatives are to blame for the country's deep political divide, but rather extremists on both sides of the aisle. You need liberals. You need... What I, what I don't think is we need illiberals. <laughs> and what I don't think they... I, see, I can't talk... <laughs> can't do it and what i don't think that some liberals see is that they're often being cannibalized by the illiberals mcconaughey explained to host Susanna reed and Piers morgan now there are extremes on both sides and i think that i think are unfair and i don't think they are the right place to be the extreme left and the extreme right completely illegitimize the other side the liberal and the liberal or and conservative side which we need in certain places the two extremes legitimize these two sides illegitimize these two sides or they exaggerate what uh, that side stance to an irrational state that makes no sense and is not fair uh, when either side does that. God, he, he's not a smart man. You can tell just by the way how he talks. In discussing how deeply divided America seems to be at the end of 2020, uh, the actor also briefly uh, touched upon cancel culture. He noted that everyone should be paying attention to see what the future holds for the concept of freedom of speech. Quote, where the waterline is going to land on this freedom of speech and uh, what we allow and what we don't and where, can- and where this cancel culture goes, where that waterline lands is, very in- is a very interesting place and that we are engaged in right now as a society and we're trying to figure out because we haven't found the right spot, he explained. Despite his calls for unity and understanding, the star noted that confrontation is still an essential part of any working society. Confrontation and have unity. <laughs> that's when a democracy really works well he said via deadline I would argue that we don't have true confrontation right now confrontation that gives some validation and legitimizes the opposing point of view we don't have a, a legitimate we don't give a legitimacy or validation to an opposing point of view we make it a persona non grata and that's unconstitutional uh, elsewhere in the interview the star uh, said he believes a lot of this Stress America seems to be going through right now can be directly blamed on the coronavirus pandemic causing uncertainty among America who may never have experienced it on this scale before. Limbo is the hardest part, he said. I think we all do better when we, uh, when we have a definitive, definitive yes or no or an understanding of uh, when the enduring is going to of when the ending is going to be a thing of some crisis. <laughs> we haven't had that for some time, so it's been sort of a one-way ticket to limbo. He continued, quite a few of us get what I call anticipation fatigue. For, for the last eight months, every, every night, many people are going to bed thinking maybe tomorrow it's over. And then the next day, they're let down, and they do it again, and they're let down. Then you're burning 30 or 40% of your energy uh, because you're thinking it's, <laughs> it may be over soon. It does look like uh, not a way out of it now. Although he didn't elaborate, McConaughey was likely referencing the coronavirus vaccine as a way out of it. On Monday, the first doses of the vaccine were shipped out to Americans with the first doses uh, going to Queens healthcare uh, worker who spent the last 10 months on the front lines of the pandemic. Yeah, so, wow, I cannot stand the way that man talks. And it's not the tone of his voice, it's the, the words he uses. He's, I mean, you can have, 
you can have a limited vocabulary and have complex thoughts. You know, it's just that you have to wade through it when you're talking about it. No offense, you're you're an, you're a great actor, absolutely, Matthew McConaughey. But I think I can't remember. Was it somebody earlier this last week like that said, you know, we're we're jesters. Why why is anyone listening to us? It's like, yeah, you shouldn't listen to celebrities. Yeah, you know, after after he read an entire article about a celebrity and what he said. All right, all right, all right. I'll go on to the next story. Uh, anti-masker stands on Costco clothing display, makes false claims during megaphone rant, video says. <laughs> Your friendly neighborhood madman. If it, even if he's not affecting uh, those around him with COVID-19, he's infecting those jeans and T-shirts with grime of the soles of his grubby shoes. I should not have sense. That's horrible, Fox. Anyway, a coronavirus-denying uh, Costco shopper was filmed on a clothing display on, uh, and spewing his anti-mask rhetoric into a megaphone at a location in Tustin, California, on Sunday. During his rant, the man questioned the eff- efficacy of masks to stop the spread of coronavirus and made false claims that COVID-19 and the influenza virus are the same thing. Quote, if masks really work, why is it still a problem? He yelled into the megaphone, as seen on footage uploaded to Twitter. Uh, quote, because the masks don't do anything. It's just like the flu. We've already been exposed to it, folks. <laughs> uh, where, where are the people with the flu this season? Where are they? They're getting told they have COVID, he said. Anybody who dies from the COVID would have died, uh, would have died from the regular flu. Okay. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, however, has already outlined many differences between COVID-19 and the flu, including its assessment that the former uh, can lead to much more serious illnesses and remains contagious for much longer uh, among other key differences. The man also falsely claimed that 70,000 people die every year from the flu, when in fact CDC's records show that only 22,000 flu deaths uh, in the U.S. during the 2019-2020 uh, flu season, and 34,000 in 2018-2019, 64,000 in 2017-18, and all the highest number of recorded, uh, although that was the highest number in recorded years. The anti-masker then turned his attention to Cal- uh, California Gover- Governor Newsom and criticized him for the state's uh, latest lockdown measures. Uh, at least one shopper was seen reprimanding the man, while two others gave him fist bumps near the end of the footage. All were wearing masks aside from the man with the megaphone. Costco employees were seen uh, directing customers away from him as he continued to rant. Representatives for Costco did not immediately respond to requests for confirmation as to whether the man was a member. <laughs> 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 do whatever, do whatever they want. Yeah, <laughs> members. You know, members get special special privileges. <laughs> Nor whether he was removed for his me- or his membership revoked. The superstore, meanwhile, had recently uh, updated its mask po- uh, policy to require masks or face shields for everyone ages two and up. Members with medical conditions who were also exempt from the uh, requirement prior to November fifteenth, twenty twenty, are now also required to wear a face shield at the very least. <laughs> Just your friendly neighborhood. Madman ranting. You know, it's, it's, I think I've talked about this before, like civil disobedience. It could be annoying, you know, it, it, it just, uh, it's like, uh, what was that movie? Ghost, where Patrick Swayze, like, uh, got Demi Moore or, and Whoopi Goldberg to do what they wanted by singing I'm Henry VIII, like, over and over again. You could, uh, that's like, that's nonviolent protest. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you could, if you want to rant, I, I wouldn't say go into Costco and do this, go to where everybody can go. Don't go to those exclusive clubs and do it. <laughs> go to Walmart. Go to Walmart and do that. <laughs> They'd probably tackle you quicker in Walmart, right? <laughs> More employees. Anyway, uh, yeah, let's go on to this next story. So uh, Disney World will stop editing masks onto guests 
in ride photos. <laughs> you ready for this? According to recent reports, Disney World in Orlando, Florida was digitally adding masks to photos of unmasked guests on certain rides. Now the theme park reportedly says it will no longer be doing this. <laughs> In an attempt to not punish guests who are following the rules, Disney World was digitally adding masks to photos of guests who were caught not wearing masks on certain rides, USA Today reports. This was reportedly done in response to a policy that the theme park has as in regards to wearing masks. <laughs> According to the policy, photos taken by the park's cameras that showed guests not wearing masks on rides would, would not be eligible to be sold. Unfortunately, this had a negative impact on other riders who wore their masks on the ride in an attempt to make them purchase the photo. Disney World repeatedly digitally added masks to the photos. <laughs> Since reports of this practice have gone public, however, the theme park has apparently decided to reverse the policy. I don't see why. In, in, a, in a statement shared uh, with the outlet, a representative for Disney World said, uh, in response to guest requests, we tested modifying some ride photos. We are no longer doing this and continue to expect guests to wear face coverings except, except when actively eating or drinking while stationary. <laughs> for example, it was recently reported that as such a photo of a guest on a ride at Florida's Parks Animal Kingdom resurfaced on a private Facebook group, Disney World Junkies. The image is said to have shown a woman uh, with what appears to be a Photoshop mask over her face. All right, there is so much hilarious about this story. <laughs> One, first of all, Disney had the technology involved with their photo ride photo uh, technology to implement this software over the photos they were getting in through these. Two, they were able to implement it like almost immediately just to make people feel more comfortable so they could sell more photos of people on rides. You know, you know those things aren't cheap, <laughs> all right? But they didn't want these people going home and showing a picture of them on a ride who's not wearing a mask while they're wearing a mask. So they, they incorporated this technology to digitally put a mask over all the people in the car for the photo just so that they could sell more photos, make people more comfortable to buy those photos. <laughs> And they, and they developed it over like the course of everything that's going on in this pandemic. You know, that's a well-oiled machine implementing a idea. And I don't see why not. I don't see why you wouldn't do that. I think you should tell people you're going to do that. <laughs> I think that's why they stopped is because they didn't tell anybody they were doing that. <laughs> I think that that is hilarious. You may think it's scary, a little big brotherish, because what else can they do, obviously. But, I mean, I'd rather just laugh, take a laugh at it. Anyway, let's go to one more story involving Florida. Florida family trapped inside overturned car and canal rescued by police, firefighters, and Good Samaritan. Police, firefighters, and a Good Samaritan in Florida worked together last week to rescue a family trapped in a car that had crashed and flipped over into a canal. Officers were to her attention pond off a of Lee Vista. Lee Vista Boulevard on Thursday night in order to find an car with a father and his two sons, ages 12 and 4, still inside, Orlando police said. Or Orlando police released body cam footage of the dramatic rescue on Monday. Officer Mackenzie Green told Fox 35 Orlando that arriving to the scene and hearing uh, 12-year-old Gabriel screaming as he climbed out of the pond was gut-curdling. Yeah, I bet. And gave the officer goosebumps all, all over. Uh, Gabriel was able to free himself from the car, but his four-year-old brother and their father uh, were still trapped inside the car, according to the video. Gabriel could be heard pleading with the officers to save them. Firefighters had to cut off the doors of the car to free the child and the father in an operation that took nearly 40 minutes, the station reported. Jose Diaz, a good Samaritan who was driving behind uh, the family's car when it lost control and crashed, 
had called police for help and immediately jumped into the water to help the family, he told the Orlando Sentinel. Diaz kept the four-year-old's head above water until firefighters could free him, police said. I might tear up. Diaz told the paper that he didn't hesitate to jump in the chilly water, adding that his main worry was to try to save the life of the kids. Police said the family is good and in safe health. Is safe and in good health. <laughs> Whoops. Dyslexia. And thank Diaz, the officers, and firefighters who helped rescue them. You know, you know I like to end on these happier, upbeat stories. And it, there's a good reason why. It's like these kind of stories uh, need to be told. They need to be repeated you know, more than once. Because this is a real America. You want to say defund the police after something like this? No. No. It's a good thing those cops, good thing that Good Samaritan stopped, saw the accident and stopped and tried to help them because that, that young four-year-old boy, he died. If he had just, even if he had just called the cops and went on, which any, you, you would think anyone would do at the bare minimum. It's like, oh, I saw a car go off the highway. I'm going to keep going, but call, you know. But he actually got out and ended up saving a life, you know. And these are Americans. The cops, the Good Samaritan, this Jose Diaz fellow, good for them. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, you help your fellow man. Nothing else matters in this severe situation. Severe situation like that. And you know what? These are the, America, the Americans that we are. You know, I, and, you, know you want to think that we're all at each other's throat in this country. And it's like, we're not. We're not. There's no political aisles when it comes to uh, pulling a family out of a, a canal, saving their lives. Anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and end the show. I wish I had something real cool to end the show on to he keep tie it all together and keep the theme together but i don't think we could have done that screwed it up right at the beginning anyway i want to remind you go over to patreon.com slash shock monkey radio become a i would appreciate it if you can't do that go to cash app cash tag shock monkey radio i'd appreciate that you can email me and i may feature in you feature you in my uh, mailbag segment sometime and uh, email me at madman at fxbgpr.com i would appreciate it um yeah Buy my books, <laughs> Amazon.com. Search for Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. And so this has been the end. This is the end of Shock Monkey Radio. I am the madman, and I love you.